Hello and welcome to Outflow. I'm Alan King, and wherever you are joining us from today, we're glad you're here. Since this is our very first episode of our revamped Outflow podcast, let me take a moment just to tell you a little bit about myself and what we're doing here. Again, my name is Alan King, and I serve as lead pastor for an incredible group of folk who attend River of Life Church in Valdez, North Carolina. I'm married to the love of my life, Regina. We have four daughters and three grandchildren, two son-in-laws, and a Yorkie. Uh, when I first said something to folks about my interest in podcasting, I had so many people that said, you should do that. My only concern was I didn't want to be boring. My greatest fear was whether or not I could capture people's attention and keep them listening and even coming back. And one of the things that I hope will help make that happen is that you, the audience, will, for the most part, be responsible for what we're going to discuss. I'm going to encourage you to send us any topic, any question that you'd like to know more about from a biblical perspective. You know, the Bible says so much about a lot of the issues and the dilemmas that we face every day as just ordinary folk. Uh, You might be amazed to find out that there are biblical answers to some of your toughest questions. Whether your question is about something as practical as career choices or as complex as our marital status in heaven, those answers can be found in the Word of God. Now, I've already reached out to some friends asking them to provide a few topics and questions to get us started, and they've contributed some very thought-provoking, interesting subjects, and we're looking forward to getting into those. But I'm asking for your questions as well. Anything you want to discuss from a biblical perspective is open game. No limits. I'm going to be giving you the email address in just a moment where you can send your questions and topics, the ones that you would like discussed. So grab a pen and get ready to write that email address down. Give it to you in just a moment. If you have questions, we want to help you find the answers. We want to assist you in finding out what the Bible says about your situation, your issues, your questions. Or that topic that you could never get anybody else to address to see what God's Word really has to say. Now, from time to time, I hope to have some special guests in the studio with me, and that should be a lot of fun as well. And so uh, we're looking uh, anxious about that. So uh, I, I want you to keep wanting to come back for more. So we want to keep things interesting to you. Um, that's that's important. Whether you're sitting in your study or just want to hear what topics we're covering, or maybe you're uh, having some quiet time at the office and we may be your background noise, or perhaps you're driving down the highway on a trip or on your way to or from work. I hope you're going to join us regularly for Outflow. Now, are you ready to write down that email address? so that you can send us your questions or the topics that you would like to hear us talk about. Here's the email address. Are you ready? Very simple. Outflow at Outflow.online. Again, that's Outflow at Outflow.online. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Now, let's get started. Today, we're going to attempt to answer the question, how do we really know that the Bible is true? How do we really know that the Bible is true? So now, 
Grab your Bible, something to take notes with. Let's get into the Word of God. the Bible is really true? That's a great question. The Bible is unique among all the holy books. It is rooted, uh, rooted in and intertwined with actual human history. The Bible claims to be the word of God. It records the interaction of God with historical people and nations. It reveals the meaning of life and the responsibility of human beings to their creator. The Bible is actually a collection of books, some long, some short. The Book of Books is the world's all-time bestseller, the world's most translated book. There have been hundreds of books written on the subject of the evidence of the divine inspiration of the Bible, and these evidences are many and varied. Most people today, unfortunately, have really not read any of those books, in fact, Few have even read the Bible itself. Therefore, a lot of folks tend to go along with the popular delusion uh, that the Bible is full of mistakes, that it's no longer relevant to a modern world. Nevertheless, the Bible writers claimed repeatedly that they were transmitting the very word of God, infallible and authoritative in the highest degree. This is, a, this is an amazing thing for any writer to say. And if the 40 or so folks who wrote the scriptures were wrong in those claims, then they must have been lying or insane or both. But on the other hand, if the greatest and most influential book of the ages containing the most beautiful literature, the most perfect moral code ever devised was written by deceiving fanatics, then what hope is there for ever finding meaning and purpose in this world? If if you will take the time to seriously investigate these biblical evidences, you're going to find that those claims of divine inspiration stated over 3,000 times in various ways in the Word of God were, were very amply justified. So what is that evidence? What is the evidence? Number one, there is the evidence of fulfilled prophecy. The remarkable evidence of fulfilled prophecy is just one case in point. Hundreds of Bible prophecies have been fulfilled specifically and meticulously, often long after the prophetic writer had passed away. For example, Daniel predicted in about 538 B.C. in Daniel chapter 9 that Christ would come as Israel's promised Savior and Prince 483 years after the Persian emperor would give the Jews authority to rebuild Jerusalem, which was then in ruins. This was clearly, definitely fulfilled hundreds of years later. Micah, in chapter 5, prophesies of the birth of Christ, even to the detail of where he would be born, when he said, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, uh, are from of old, from everlasting. There, there are extensive prophecies that deal with individual nations and cities and with the course of history in general, 
all of which have been literally fulfilled. More than 300 prophecies were fulfilled by Christ himself at his first coming. Other prophecies deal with the spread of Christianity as well as various false religions and many other subjects. There is no other book, ancient or modern, like the Bible. Only the Bible manifests this remarkable prophetic evidence, and it does so on such a tremendous scale that it renders completely absurd any explanation other than divine revelation. Did you know that Scripture contains dozens of specific predictions that came true with 100% accuracy? For example, could you, could you find all 48 major prophecies concerning the Messiah fulfilled in any one man? Science says no. The chance of that occurring by coincidence is 10 followed by 157 zeros. Think about that. 10, the chance of all those coming to pass, 10 followed by 157 zeros. I don't even know what that number is, uh, but I'd say that uh, those are pretty high odds. But Jesus is that one man who fulfilled them all. So prophecy is the first evidence that we have that the Bible is true. The second evidence that we have uh, is the Bible's unique historical accuracy. The historical accuracy of the Scripture is in a class all by itself, far superior to the written records of Egypt, Assyria, and other early nations. Archaeological confirmations of the biblical record have been almost innumerable in the last century. Uh, Dr. Nelson Gluick, probably the, the greatest modern authority on Israeli archaeology, has said no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And by the same token, proper evaluation of the biblical description has often led to amazing discoveries. That brings us to uh, the, the third evidence, which is scientific accuracy. Uh, this striking evidence of divine inspiration is found in the fact that many of the principles of modern science were recorded as facts of nature in the Bible a long time before scientists confirmed them experimentally. Um, just a sample of those would be things like the roundness of the earth that's spoken of in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, uh, the, the almost infinite extent of the, uh, uh, of the sidereal universe that deals with the, the, the stars and the planets and their alignment. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55 talks about those things. Uh, the law of the conservation of mass and energy is spoken of in second Peter chapter three and verse seven, uh, the, the hydrologic cycle is talked about in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Uh, the vast number of stars that, that's referred to in Jeremiah chapter 33. Um, the law of increasing entropy in Psalm 102. Uh, the paramount importance, I love this one, the paramount importance of, of blood in the life processes in Leviticus chapter 17. Uh, atmospheric circulation is spoken of in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And the gravitational field, Job talks about it in Job 26, and there's so many others. These are not stated in the technical jargon of modern science, of course, but in terms of the basic world of, of man's everyday experience. Nevertheless, they're completely in accord with most modern scientific facts. 
it's significant also that no real mistake has ever been demonstrated in the Bible, in science, in history, or in any other subject. A lot of folks have claimed, of course, uh, that there are, but conservative Bible scholars have always been able to work out reasonable solutions to, to, to any kind of problem. Next, we have the evidence of the Bible's unique structure. This is a remarkable book. Um, Even though it's a collection of actually 66 books written by 40 or more different men over a period of 2,000 years, it's clearly one book with perfect unity and consistency throughout. The individual writers at the time of writing had no idea that their message was eventually to be incorporated into such a book, but but each nevertheless fits perfectly into place and serves its own unique purpose as a component of the whole. Any individual who diligently studies the Bible will continually find remarkable structural mathematical patterns woven throughout its fabric. And there's an intricacy there and a symmetry that would be incapable of explanation by chance or collusion. The, the one consistent theme of the Bible that develops in grandeur from Genesis to Revelation is God's great work in the creation and the redemption of all things through his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the final, the final evidence of the Bible's validity is the Bible's unique effect. The Bible is unique in terms of its effect on individual men and on the history of nations. It is the all-time bestseller that appeals both to the hearts and minds, absolutely beloved by, by at least some in every race, every nation, every tribe to which it has gone, rich or poor, scholar or simple, king or commoner, men of literally every background and walk of life. No other book has ever held such a universal appeal or produced such lasting effects. And then one final evidence that the Bible is true is found in the testimony of those who have believed it. Multitudes of people, past and present, have found from personal experience that the promises of the Bible are true. Its counsel is sound. Its commands and restrictions are wise. And its wonderful message of salvation meets every need for both time and eternity. Now, when we say that the Bible is the Word of God, does that imply that it's completely accurate? Or does it contain insignificant inaccuracies and details of of things like history and science? Well, some theologians teach that the Bible is inspired and authoritative, and, and that's an accurate revelation of what God wants us to know about salvation. But they leave room, some leave room for minor errors in non-crucial areas. However, Classic Christianity rests on the assurance that the Bible is 100% completely accurate. Now, it might contain statements that are figures of speech or non-technical descriptions or, or maybe difficult to understand, but actual errors would fall into a different kind of category. If there are any errors in Scripture, no matter how small, then the book can no longer be our standard of truth. I become the standard of truth as I determine which biblical statements are right and which ones are wrong. And if I can't trust God to get the facts straight on things like dates and measurements where I can check on him, why should I expect him to be more accurate in areas like sin and salvation where I can't check on him? 
The Bible doesn't use the word inerrant, but the idea is absolutely obvious. In Psalm 19, verse 7, the word says, The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The judgments of the Lord are true forever. Psalm 119, verse 43 says, The word calls the Bible the word of truth. Psalm 119, verse 142 says, Thy law is truth. Psalm 119, verse 160, Thy word is true from the beginning. And John 17, 17 says, Thy word is truth. An inaccurate Bible contradicts God's character quality of absolute truthfulness. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 says, God cannot lie. Hebrews 6, 18 said, it is impossible for God to lie. Now, some consider that a, made, a, a minor issue, but the idea that the Bible would contain errors opens the door to serious spiritual danger. When the people decide they have the authority to label one verse as a mistake, then they soon find others that they consign to the error category. I've watched it happen over the years. Every generation rejects more and more Scripture as it gets in the way of their own opinions. Some would say, well, if the Bible is the Word of God, how can you explain the contradictions of the Bible? You know, and the Bible has many seeming contradictions within its pages, if you just read on the surface. For example, uh, you know, the four Gospels give four differing accounts as to what was written on the sign that hung on the cross of Christ. Um, you know, the word says uh, it, it was it was John or uh, uh, read the Matthew chapter 27 that said above the head, they put up the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Uh, Mark chapter 15 said the inscription of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. Uh, Luke says, now there was also an inscription above him. This is the king of the Jews. And then finally, John uh, adds his description and said, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Now, all of those seem to be different. And those who are looking for contradictions may therefore say, well, see, the Bible is full of mistakes. And they choose to reject it entirely as being untrustworthy. However, those who trust God really have no problem with harmonizing the Gospels. There's no contradiction in the sign that simply said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Um, it's just said in different ways. The godly, the, the godly base their confidence on two truths. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, according to 2 Timothy 3.16. And secondly, an elementary rule of scripture is that God has deliberately included seeming contradictions in his word to snare the proud. He's hidden things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babies, according to Luke chapter 10. And he's done that purposely, choosing foolish things to confound the wise, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If an ungodly man refuses to humble himself and obey the gospel and, and instead desires to build a case against the Bible, God gives him enough material to build his own gallus. This incredible principle is clearly illustrated in the account of the capture of Zedekiah, the king of Judah. Jeremiah the prophet told Zedekiah that God would judge him. 
He was, he was informed that he would be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon in Jeremiah 32.4. This is confirmed in Jeremiah 39 verses 5 through 7, where we're told that he was captured, he was brought to King Nebuchadnezzar, and then they bound him with chains to carry him to Babylon. However, in Ezekiel chapter 12 and verse 13, God himself warned, I will bring him to Babylon, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. Here is the material to build a case against the Bible. It's an obvious mistake, right? Three Bible verses say that the king would go to Babylon, and yet the Bible in another place says that he would not see Babylon. How can someone be taken somewhere and not see it. Makes no sense, right? Unless Zedekiah was blinded. And that is precisely what happened. Zedekiah saw Nebuchadnezzar face to face, saw his sons killed before his eyes. And then the king of Babylon put out Zedekiah's eyes before taking him to Babylon, according to Jeremiah 39 and 6 and 7. This is the underlying principle behind the many contradictions contradictions of Holy Scripture. Things like how many horses did David have or who was the first to arrive at the tomb after the resurrection of Jesus and on and on. God has turned the tables on the proud, the arrogant, self-righteous people. When he proudly stands outside the kingdom of God and seeks to justify his sinfulness through evidence that he thinks discredits the Bible, he doesn't realize that God has simply lowered the door of life so that only those who are prepared to exercise faith and bow in humility can enter. It's interesting to note that the seeming contradictions in the four Gospels attest to the fact that there was no corroboration between the writers. Now, try as you might, there is nothing that even comes close to Scripture, nothing at all. Consider the fact that the Bible is comprised of 66 books written over a period of about 2,000 years by over 40 authors from all walks of life with different kinds of personalities and in all sorts of situations. It was written in three languages on three continents, and it covers hundreds of controversial subjects. Yet it fits together into one cohesive story with an appropriate beginning, a logical ending, a central character, and a consistent theme. How do you even begin to explain such historical, structural, prophetic, doctrinal, and spiritual congruency, harmony, apart from the fact that its real author was divine. Approximately 40 men were inspired to record the word of God. Now remember, they had no email, no faxes, no phones. Imagine trying to pull together a project like this over a 2,000-year period. The Bible portrays this incredibly consistent picture of the Messiah throughout all 66 of its books. Jesus was and is a recognized historical figure. Biblical characterizations of him, in order to be credible, have had to conform to the accounts of unbiased historians. Followers of Jesus all gave up their possessions, their homes, and even their lives because they believed the absolute accuracy of the biblical record. Remember, the Bible was not written by a collection of professional writers either. 
these 40 people were were from multiple cultures multiple occupations kings fishermen tax collectors shepherds prophets even a physician it would be more difficult to find a more diverse collection of writers they they run the gamut from moses who was highly educated to peter who was a fisherman Though they wrote at different periods of world history, their writings dovetail with one another, not superficially, but intricately, brilliantly. I also remember that these men were not writing about something as simple uh, as an action-adventure hero. They were, they, they were dealing with controversial subjects such as the meaning of life, the, the nature of God, and angelic beings, and God's plan for redemption. These are matters on which it is generally not humanly possible to check the facts firsthand or to even fully understand so as to write in complete agreement with all other biblical authors, past and future. But all 40 did write in unity and with authority. Either they were inspired or they cheated to produce congruency. Now, did all the authors have the advantage of possessing, knowing, or, or even understanding all the biblical writings that came before them? All those skeptics like to think otherwise. The answer is, is no, certainly no. Malachi probably was acquainted with the other sacred books of the Old Testament, but Daniel might not have known what Ezekiel had written, and many of the prophets would not have known the message of their contemporaries, the, the, the messages that they were giving. In, in the New Testament, Paul wrote independently of John. James didn't know what Paul was writing. If there had been collusion, if the writers would have consciously attempted to make their writings agree with others, then there would have been a superficial unity and, and apparent inconsistencies would have been resolved. The fact that the Bible has unity, despite obvious differences in content and style and perspective, is a powerful witness to the independence of each author. Just imagine if you took various pieces of a cathedral arriving from different countries and cities converging on a central location. In fact, uh, imagine that it, that investigation proves that 40 different sculptors made contributions over a period of 2,000 years, yet the pieces fit together to form a single magnificent structure. Would that not be proof that behind that project was a single mind, one designer who used his workmen to sculpt a well-conceived plan? Well, the Bible is that cathedral. Can the Bible be infallible if it is written by fallible humans? And if not, how can we accept it as literal truth? There's no logical reason why this could not be true. After all, even fallible humans can get things right some of the time, especially if they're supervised by somebody who is infallible, Christians don't claim that the humans who penned the books of the Bible were always accurate in everything they said or everything they did. We simply believe that the Bible is right when it claims that God guided these men in their task of writing Scripture in such a way that the result is an infallible book. The Apostle Peter undoubtedly said some foolish things during his lifetime. But God didn't allow him to clutter up the Bible with any of those blunders. Think about that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 contains the classic claim 
that the Bible was produced by God, not just men. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We we don't know exactly how God accomplished his purpose of providing a totally accurate Bible. But 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 gives some insight. It says that no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So you can see that the Bible is such an amazing composition. It, it, it really is the inerrant, infallible, ever-living Word of God. No wonder Job declared, Thy Word, O Lord, I esteem more than my necessary food. What a powerful statement. Your Word, Lord, is more important to me than the food that I eat that I take into my body. Wow. Thank you again for joining us for Outflow. If you've enjoyed our time together, please let us know. Before we go, would you do us a favor? Okay, we're actually asking for three favors, but would you please do this for us? First of all, please subscribe to this podcast in whatever format or platform you're watching from. Um, Secondly, if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. That'd be amazing. And finally, please tell your friends and family about us. Thanks again for making us a part of your day. We're excited about taking this journey together. Remember, if you have a question or you have a particular topic that you would like for us to talk about, feel free to send that to us. And you can do that by email. Very simple. All you got to do is send it to outflow at outflow.online. Again, outflow at outflow.online. Isn't that simple? I'm Pastor Alan King coming to you from the studios of River of Life Church in Valdez, North Carolina. Thank you for tuning in today to Outflow. Now get out there and be blessed. And while you're at it, be a blessing.